Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. Hi guys, just a quick one to say Alex's internet had a few issues in kind of the first five, seven minutes. So if you can bear with it, uh, it does get a lot better. It's definitely rectified and I have tried to edit out the worst bits. So um, yeah, please stick with it because it's, uh, it's a really fascinating discussion and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host, Phil Llewellyn. A big welcome to season six where we continue to explore coaching, learning and development. As usual, my guests are going to present their key learnings for a piece of content of their choosing, and we then discuss its application. I'll now hand over to them to introduce themselves. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Alex Guest, and I'm the head coach at the City of Oxford College Wasps Ace Programme. Hi there. My name is Kel Cookland, and I'm assistant rugby coach at the Wasps Ace City of Oxford Programme, uh, specialising in the backs kind of stuff. Fantastic. Gents, absolute pleasure to have you both on. Thanks for thanks for joining me. Really keen to get stuck in and uh, and have a chat about what you guys are doing at the college. So just before we do that, just a reminder to anyone listening that uh, links to all the content we discuss and other high quality content are available in the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly. So uh, Guesty, we're coming to you first. Um, yeah, what are you going to chat to us about, mate? So really, I want to talk around uh, what college um where we've kind of come from where we are and then just sort of the a little bit around some literature so in short really it is so an ace college is an fe academic college that is partnered with a premiership rugby club um so we're partnered with wasps and we play in the rfu ace league um and really we're, we're only about two three years old so we previously the ace program was at a different college just down the road um and for whatever reason, it's it's now moves moved to us. So we've got hit by COVID. Um, I wasn't around then, so myself and Carol are both brand new. This is our first season with the college, but essentially coming into the program, coming out of lockdown, the end of what two or three lockdowns. This was our first proper season uh, in the Ace League last year. We finished thirteenth in the Ace League, and this year we managed to finish uh, second. Um, so really, myself and Cal and, and Harrison, our forwards coach, we had to hit the ground running in terms of what we're trying to do as a programme, uh, getting used to each other uh, as coaches, because we didn't know each other. We, we met in a little village just outside Oxford uh, for crumpets and a coffee to try and get a little bit of engagement together. But essentially what we're, we've tried to do this year and what we're trying to underpin everything we do from a programme point of view is our behaviours as coaches and the behaviours of the boys on the programme. Um, so this might sound a little bit odd, but what we try and tell the players that come on the programme in recruitment days, the first day of pre-season, is when you come to us, you won't make it. Essentially because we're, the, we're not the ones that offer professional contracts. But what we do focus on are the behaviours for excellence. So we talk around uh, foundations for future excellence. So essentially you come to us. We're going to teach you what we feel are the, the right behaviours or the correct behaviours for future excellence to either get that senior academy contract at the end of the two years with us to get you into a better university uh, degree course than what you could have done or you go off and start your own business or even five, six, seven years time when you are successful in whatever your next journey is, 
you look back and go, well, actually, I learned those excellence of behavior, uh, those behaviors at the City of Oxford College. That's our challenge, and that's what I want to get across um, to the players and to the staff. It's almost that, that standards or behaviors for future excellence, because it's such a short window with us, but hopefully we can have such a big impact that whether they, like I said, they get that senior academy contract or they go on and they get an apprenticeship or they get a better degree than, than before, what allows them to excel in the future is the behaviours that they've learned at the college. And a bit of, in my previous role, so I spent seven years as a junior academy manager and lucky enough to be mentored by, by Neil McCarthy, who's done a lot of research into PCDEs and super champs um, and what sort of behaviours underpin the super champs and things like that. So his work with Dave Collins, Anya McNamara, um, has probably influenced a lot of what I try and do in terms of talent development or behaviours as coaches, behaviours that we want to install in, in these players. And then over, really over the summer, um, I started reason, reading Jason Fox's Life Under Fire book. Um, quite like all things military and, and the SES and sort of the elite, elite background. It was actually quite a nice, a very good read because it kind of went hand in hand with the elite behaviours, the elite behaviours of a soldier sort of matched the Super Champs paper, but also the, the book was actually really good for us in terms of, it was almost like a how-to guide. From day one, as coaches, we've never met, as we've never met these players. Only Harrison knew who the players were because he trialled them the previous, uh, the previous year. Um, so it was quite a good little manual how to bring us together as coaches, but also players together. Um, so it's been quite a whirlwind after leaving my previous job, I was there for seven years to then start a new challenge, almost with a blank canvas in terms of the programme, the players and the staff. A slightly different role to what, I'm, to what I'm used to, actually having to manage other members of staff and develop them as well. So it's been, it's been quite a whirlwind start. It sounds like a fascinating journey. And, and I guess first question is kind of, how how did you approach that so was did covid effectively tee up the fact it was a blank canvas or was was that actually you're picking up or stepping into an environment where there's a load of challenges and and that was actually quite difficult or was it somewhere in between it's probably a little bit of both i think the the, the previous head coach had almost two years of lockdown um so couldn't actually see the boys on the ground i think the last year there was uh, like three or four games in the Ace League. Um, but when you don't get an opportunity to see the players or interact with them or coach them, uh, that's that's why they've ended up 13th in the Ace League, whereas actually we had a fresh start. Everyone's out lockdown, all the restrictions are gone. Um, the boys are back on the field, day one of pre-season, so it was almost a little bit of both that really restricted in terms of trying to get a programme off the ground. Like, like my, my beliefs, like I've said, it's massively on behaviours and trying to install behaviours on a one hour, two hour Zoom is really hard when you don't actually get to, to coach and interact with the players, whereas actually we've got blank canvas because it's almost like, well, COVID's ruined that little bit because we haven't managed to install anything on an identity or anything like that. Whereas we've gone right day one of pre-season is, but we call it year one because, well, first year of the programme, We've set some behaviours and some standards for excellence, and we've come second in the Ace League. So, talk me through the behaviours, uh, and Kel, jump in as well. But what what behaviours do you actually? How do you set it out? How do you go about? How did you go about kind of defining them? Was that just from 
Neil's work with with Dave and Anya, or is that is there other stuff that's kind of formulated in that? Is that just your guys' experience? Like, how have you come up with the behaviours and what are they? Yeah, so like we try and like, I talk around like coach guided, player led. I don't want it to be all all about us. Uh, what we say goes. When I talk around behaviours, it's not like you have to be ten minutes early, you have to be five minutes early, or anything like that. It's what we would try and flip back to the boys is like when you if you guys the meeting's going to start at 12 o'clock if it's one minute past you're late if you guys want to come up with a little bit like Lombardi you've got to be there 15 minutes early or 10 minutes early that's over to you guys and you guys can police that but at 12 o'clock when on the schedule it says the meeting starts the meeting's going to start and if you're late you're not going to come in in the room and what we would flip back to the players is what do you think that's excellent the answer is always going to be no, because there is always improvements that you can make and, it, and something can be better. And it's the same conversations we have as coaches, like, was that session excellent? Was our planning session, was that excellent? Because we want things to be better for ourselves, for the programme and, and for the players. So in terms of behaviours, it's not necessarily like a list of things you can and cannot do. Um, there's little like logistical bits. Um, like I said, if you are, if it's one minute past 12, then you're not going to come in little things like that but it's more around taking ownership of, of stuff and really it's that that behavior that thought process of excellence because it's, it's never a destination because you can nail it this time but next time you could have done it better quicker faster that sort of thing so we would always try and flip it back on the players and do you think that was that was good enough is that is that excellence um because it's not just about the here and now is whatever job they go into revision academics that sort of side of things is was that good enough is that excellence always trying to put it back on the players so that they the answer is always going to be no but then it's over to them to work out how to make it better and then like i said like coach guided we will put on the best training session we can we will coach the best that we can we will make the program is the best program we can but essentially it's over to players to take ownership for it um and one of those being Every player can have one-to-ones. We, we've got two squads, 65 players. Every player, whether they're in the WAS Academy, one of our two or three England players, or they're in the development team, everyone can have a one-to-one, but we don't chase them. We tell them, if you want feedback, if you want a one-to-one, come find us. It's over to them to come and find us. Kale, how do you find that with the players in terms of, obviously they'll come in with a, a huge variety of experience and life skills and understanding and that type of stuff like what what are the challenges for you in in terms of managing this almost on a kind of a, a daily basis yeah yeah and what guest you touched on is pretty massive so we, like we've heard of the old cliche of sort of good people make good rugby players and managing that term so how how, how boys manage their behaviors off field on field uh, in the classroom Really, we want, we want to align. So the, the behaviours that we discuss in, in the rugby meeting room, we want to see across across the programme. Um, we've done a good job here of uh, academic guys getting involved with that kind of stuff and our SNCs are in our planning meetings so that behaviours in the gym, behaviours on the field, behaviours in the classroom are replicated. Um, and like Guesty touched on that ownership aspect, so things like leadership teams or, or, or groups that we speak to who, who kind of manage those behaviours for us, um, is massive and, and getting your point across, not just as a coach, but it, it, sometimes it means a bit more coming through the players. Um, and we make sure that we include those kind of players uh, who, who display those leadership skills to really push those messages across for us. 
uh, to, to the boys, uh, whether that's boys in, in our accommodation or boys traveling in, uh, that messages around behaviors um, are full circle. And, and, and at all times, we're kind of trying to work towards excellence and, and being the best. How with, with kind of residential guys and I guess like day students almost, how, how do you find that as in terms of creating that squad? Did, is it difficult to avoid a little bit of a click in terms of the residential guys because they live and breathe it and, and kind of they're always together? Like are the, are the day guys slightly on the outside of that? How, how do you manage that to make sure that isn't the case? So we, we talk Jolie Doors in pre-season because the way, the way that we work with our partnership with Wasps is from just from previous experience is I want them to interact with wasps as much as they can. So yes, we've got a competitive league that we want to win, but over the summer, if the boys have wasp pre-season sessions, then I'm, I'm not going to stop them. I want our players to have the best opportunities. And if that means that our best players, we don't see them until the last week of, of pre-season for us, well, I'm, I'm not going to hold them back just for success on the pitch because it's about that, that individual player. So we've got boys off at Wasps who don't come back until the end of summer. Uh, residential lads, non-residential lads. We've got overseas players as well. But the big thing that we talked about in the summer was we do we embrace everything together. So whether it's embracing challenges together um, or if we've got a meeting, every player's in the meeting. So there isn't a first team and second team meeting. That's the fire, the fire alarm. Oh, no. You're gonna to have to dip out. Uh, okay, well, do you wanna? To... Oh, no. Tuesday, Tuesday, just a test day, I think. Brilliant. It stopped. It stopped. If if you uh, were in where, where where Wasps, you might you might know that. I mean, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I said it basically. You don't have to. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, go on, guess. Carry on. No. Okay, so yeah, so basically everything we, we talk about is bracing everything together. So we don't have, we don't necessarily have the facilities to, but if we have a, a meeting, the first first team and the second team are in the same meeting. If we have analysis, a pool session, wherever we can, everything is done together. So fixtures, first and second team on the same bus on the same day, playing at home, playing, playing away, everything for me has to be done together. We went down to Truro for two or three days on a little uh, little festival. We didn't just take the first team because we've got the Ace League to win. We took everybody because like, I believe we, we want to give, we don't want to be a massive program, but we want to give the, everybody similar opportunities. Um, so to do that, we've got to be together. And we talked around like embracing challenges together. So like on, on the pitch, if we do like bats versus forwards, I'll sort of nudge them up. So like, well, if the forwards lose, well, the forwards are going to do X consequence and bats, you're free to go. You can go on in, but we would always tee them up. Well, actually, is that the right thing for the team for you guys just to go off? So little things like that. We just try and from a program point of view, can everyone have the same opportunity so that we do everything together where there are consequences for winners and losers on pitch in, in training sessions and stuff like that. Or actually, it's better for the team if we all do everything together. Um, so it's just trying to, and, and, and that comes across in the book as well. And some of the other stuff that I've read around the SAS is it's not exclusive, it's inclusive. So once you get past um, the assessments to get in the SAS, you're in and you're part of that group. And 
that's something I wanted to get across is like if you've you've been successful in the trial day uh, with the college you're in you don't have to prove yourself you don't have to do stand up on a chair and sing or anything like that we're in and everything isn't inclusive if boys are if we're walking down to lunch after a session well we all wait and we do it together so there's no difference between an ace player and a development team player we do it all together and, and that's probably one of the big reasons why I think we were so um, is that togetherness and bracing challenges together because you're looking at 22 nil down at half time and we won all three of those games by two or three points because we knew if we stuck together uh, we'd win not just because of fitness and skill level but because throughout the whole of pre-season everything we do is together so our team bond I reckon was probably the strongest in the ace league this year just because of the way that we we try and push everything is together. I love to hear that. And I, I, I do think it's a mistrick in, in some senses. I remember my level three so quite a long time ago talking with a guy who was who was at one of the colleges you've mentioned, and he was just saying, you know, his big challenge and his big reflection for that season was how does he make the second team better? Because he just said that the guys stepping up are never good enough to where they want them to be. And I remember asking him the question was like, well, do you ever train together? And he's like, no, 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 no. Like you can't, you can't have the second team training with the first team. And I was like, well, maybe that's your issue. Like maybe you need to do some more joint stuff. So they're getting that exposure earlier and, you know, they're integrating and all this type of stuff. And, and he was just adamant that that, that wasn't a solution, but the problem needed fixing. And I, I was just sat there like, I don't, I, I don't know what you're asking for here. Like that just seems completely alien that you, you are effectively running two programs but complaining that one program doesn't feed the other one sufficiently. And it's just like, why, why just because you're not, yeah, not deemed by somebody to be quite good enough at the moment, should, should you have a poor experience of, of that opportunity? It just seems weird. I was lucky enough to, to see Joe Baker uh, present to like a small group of uh, academy coaches two or three years ago. And he sort of said, like, if you've, you've got two similar programs, and the way I saw it in my mind was an under-18 program, under-17 program. If you want them to end up in the same place, you've got to give them the same opportunities. You can't say, oh, well, this programme, so the development team or your under-17s or your second team, whatever you call it, they're going to go off on this tangent to the right and your first team are going to go off on this tangent to the left, but you want them to end up in the same place doing completely different things. Well, that's not going to work. So if we want to prepare these, so our, our development team is mainly full of under-17s. If we want them to become ace players, then we've got to give them an ace experience, otherwise they're never going to be anywhere near it. And just doing it in pre-season when they've the clock's ticked and they're now technically in under 18, well, that's to me, that's not good enough and that's that's not a long enough process. You, you almost wasted a year. You might as well come to an ace college just for your second year when you're technically in under 18. But actually, if, if you give a better service or better opportunities for the full two years, then you're more likely to get a better player at, at the end of it. Uh, yeah, genuinely love that. I think it's it's just sound, isn't it? It's just it's just common sense. It makes it makes so much sense. Um, interested in how you guys are judged on success. So in terms of you talked about coming second in the East league and from thirteenth to second is a is a heck of a turnaround. Um, you talked around kind of contracts, 
um, you talk around in an educational environment, there's an academic perspective, there's a uh, holistic, you know, personal development perspective. So how, how are you guys viewed from a success point of view? And how do you view yourselves and the program from a success point of view? Well, I think if, if I go first, and then Cal can jump in, because it might be slightly different. So with my role as head coach, it's success of the program is like from a league point of view, like can we get into that ace final? Can we push to, to win the ace league? Because I think we're all competitive animals and, and we drive competition in the program, mainly because like if you want to be successful on the pitch, you've got to be ultra competitive, but also in life, if you want, if you want that job, if you want to stand out from the crowd, you've, you've got to be competitive and you've got to make your CV better, your, your personal development's got to, got to be better. So for a rugby programme, it's success is success on the pitch. Can we win the Ace League? But then alongside that, we, we talk about the individuals and we've got 65 sounds like a big number, but in reality, it, it, it's not at all. So success for me is those 65 individuals, when they do leave us, actually have they become a better person? Do they have better opportunities post us than if they'd stayed at their local school or, or, or gone to a different college? Whether it is those two or three boys that are going to get professional contracts or a player that comes to us who isn't very academic, but actually gets the opportunity to go to university or somebody that doesn't go to university, goes into an apprenticeship and he excels that way. Like that's success for us as well. Success on the pitch, both teams, Boys enjoying themselves, pushing themselves, winning, getting trophies, getting winners, medals, because in my view, why we play the game, but also bigger picture stuff that they have better opportunities. I think sort of in line with what Alex was saying. So I, I come from a background where growing up, um, the word the word winning wasn't really mentioned. Um, it was all around development and. Maybe that's because we didn't win much, and, and, and the coaches coaches found it easier to, to speak like that. But actually, uh, when these boys come to us at sixteen, and in two years' time they leave a better person, a better player, and they take opportunities, whether that's whether that's rugby, whether like Guesty touched on, that's that's work, whether it's national league rugby or professional contracts, that's success for me. And like we touched on previously around behaviours, if if we can. If we can teach those those behaviours for for life in this two year block, and they come out of it a better person, um, that's success. And now on the rugby stuff, obviously, um, like like Guesty touched on, we're, we're competitive and, and we like to push that that aspect and get into the Ace League final is is great and it, and it's good for our program. But actually, from the background I've come from, an understanding player development. If if, if boys are, are better players than people by the end of the two years, I think we've we've done we've done a good job there. How do you guys kind of then link back to the, let's just kind of hone in on the, the contract piece with what, I guess, how, how do you guys interact with them? Is that a case of knowing what they want in their players and, and you've got a kind of very rough blueprint or is it about you just producing the best players you possibly can and then they'll make a decision on whether they suit, you know, the club, the structure, the game plan, who the coach is at the moment, all that type of stuff. Like how, how does that merge together? Because it's not like you're just down the road. You know what I mean? It's a, li it's a little bit of a trek. It's it's not sharing the same kind of training spaces and that type of thing. So how how you talked about obviously they'll do preseason with them and things, but just just explain a little bit more detail around how how you do that and how you manage that effectively. So we we are very very lucky and we're we are probably the only ace college that are 
as close as we are with WASPs. So we, we as a college, we, we employ six full-time staff to work within our rugby programme, which I'm very lucky to have. We're very lucky to have. And it's probably probably within the top two or three in the country in terms of numbers of staff just employed by the City of Oxford College. Where we're even luckier is that actually the junior academy staff at WASPs work with us, work side by side. So the conditioning staff, they'll do our warm-ups with our SSC coaches. They'll be in the gym sessions with our players, whether they're WASPs, non-WASPs. Uh, the coaching staff, they come down. So Alex Davis, the under 18 head coach, he'll come down uh, half past 12 on a Monday. He'll lead an EAP session um, with the, those top academy players done by one o'clock, they then come into our meeting. So it all fits in and around the same schedule. Uh, like I said, the analysts, the medic, the rugby coaches, the SC coaches, we all work together. So I, I, like we write and plan the sessions, but those guys have an input. What do they need from a WASP point of view? Uh, how can they support us? How can we support them? So essentially both programs go hand in hand. So we, we have six full-time City of Oxford College staff, plus four, WASPs Academy staff. So we've actually got 10 members of staff working across our, our programme. So we're, we're very, very lucky and very well stocked in terms of uh, uh, staff, um, which ultimately just makes our, our programme stronger. Um, it means that we can give better opportunities and a better programme to all 65 players on the programme. So like I said, it's, it, it goes hand in hand. It's not just, I know it's, it's about an hour down the road from Epic, which is the WASP training pro, uh, training ground, but they're junior academy staff. They're here Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays uh, to work with our program. Kale, uh, do you want to kind of just pick this one up and run with it? So, what is what does this now start to look like, kind of on the field in terms of planning, delivery, the the kind of the I guess the, the a bit more of the specific detail of the of the actual kind of playing side. Yeah, so like Alex touched on at the start of the year. Um, we were both new to the role. I'd come straight out of university. So this was my first time um, full-time coaching job. Um, so like Alex, like Alex said, we, we sort of went with it for the, for the first month. And uh, luckily we, we had some success from it and, and got our way to the final. But following the success of the Ace League, um, we sort of tasked ourselves with creating a curriculum for our, our, our rugby. And each coach um, went off and 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 judged what they deemed most important in different components of the game and how we could deliver the specific content over the eight weeks or the next eight weeks and then to develop our players but also to give a hot head start for the next year so how it works obviously under 17s come in each year and um, we thought if we could go away and create something that gave our 18s a head start for next year so that they could when our 17s arrive and um, they've got a shared understanding and then and we can fire straight into it um, so me being the university graduate that I was, putting my hands together on all the curriculum stuff I'd done at university, um, I fired myself straight into the backs and the attack stuff in the curriculum and I referred back to some work I'd learned at Leeds Beckett Uni around curriculum design. I spent ages scrolling through papers on curriculum at university, but the concepts I'm going to describe sort of sat with me really well in terms of practically applying it. Um, I had a lecturer called Dave Piggott, you might be familiar with some of his work. Um, but he's got a good article on curriculum design. It's available online and he speaks about this idea of threshold concepts. So it's an, an idea originated from an educational setting, um, but a threshold concepts designed as like a portal to open new ways of thinking or seeing something. And without them, players will often struggle to progress to deeper levels of understanding. Um, 
so for context and how this idea of a threshold concept fit within the curriculum and what I was thinking about is when designing the attack curriculum for us, I had to think about our players and their stage of development, but specifically thinking forwards to a new group of 17s next year. So players who come into our environment often have success playing rugby previously by being the fastest or the biggest or strongest and therefore in attacking phase play in, in their club games they, they're used to running sideways across the pitch or around players um, they play against unorganised defences where their natural rugby playing ability allows them to score quite easily um, when you take a step into ace rugby and you, uh, you see the organised defences and boys with the same athletic builds as you it's important from my point of view that you begin to understand a way to manipulate those defenders um, as being able to simply beat them by one player running around everyone isn't usually an option. Um, so this is where in terms of planning the curriculum for, for, for what we've just done previously is where I'd introduce the threshold concepts of playing square. And you know, I think attack coaches talk about this up and down the country, but really starting with the end in mind. So if I want my players by the end of the season or by the end of the block, um, to be running two sides of attack, two lines of attack, using loose frameworks for decision making or understanding how to move defences around, then they need this way of thinking about attack. So this threshold concept of, of playing square to progress to those deep levels of understanding attack. Um, so a bit of background of, on my thinking of, of how we organised the curriculum, but how did we go about doing it and applying it? So we created a matrix um, with our fundamentals of attack, defence, transition, forwards, backs, and and each each of us, we had meetings around it and, and we came up really with what the main sort of concepts were in, in each of those components, um, starting with the end in mind. So you've really got to think like what's the most important part of each component of the game right from the earliest contact that we have with our players, uh, but specific to their age and stage and applying this to, to your curriculum. Um, now, ideally for me, and just going back to the attack stuff, the the concept of playing square is is a, should be applied at a way younger age and stage. I think, in a small way, it is in the community game. Um, you know, like how many times on a Sunday, at a rugby club, do you hear parents shouting from the from the sidelines? You know, stop going sideways or go forward, go forward. So I think in a loose way, people get the concept. Um, but I think if 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 I think players age and stage and understanding is good enough at, at maybe 14, 15 to start layering on the, the basics of, of playing square and attack and things like that. So uh, I know I'm talking very much about the attacking curriculum, but um, that's what interests me interests me the most. Um, so in terms of our matrix and how we went about it, you know, each, each session is reviewed. Um, and it'd be very easy for us as sort of a young coaching team. I say young because that's what Guesty sort of refers to himself as. Um, to worry that the um, the curriculum isn't working or that we be we could be quite reactive and that lads during the week maybe aren't getting it or when we play a game we we don't see what we're looking for and us be quite reactive and try and change it. But I think with the experience that that Guessy's brought to the program in the three years that I learned that actually just sticking with the matrix and the plan that that we've got stops that from happening. Um, you know, small things like our, our sessions would be reviewed and rated out of four instead of 10, just so we were more critical with, with how we were being with, with the sessions. And in, our, in terms of our attack curriculum, playing square would be identified as a fundamental. And that starts most of our sessions and is developed from its simplest form um, to its most complex. So that might be start with catch pass. Now we'll catch pass under defensive pressure. Now we'll catch pass and make a decision. Um, and that'll be layered over weeks. Um, in terms of content and delivery. Um, 
and then that 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 did the same for defence, for transition, for backs and forwards, and and really being able to design a, a matrix for the past eight weeks. So we've just we've, well we're coming to the last block of it has. I would say has has really opened opened our eyes to to how we play rugby and and the gains and and what we've got from the last eight weeks um, are really putting us in a good position to kick on for next year and and the 17s that we've got with us especially understanding it now um, is going to massively help us going into the league next year. Fantastic. There's loads to, to kind of dip into on that, but one thing I'm just going to say. I'm going to back Guesty and say he is young because I coach Guesty, and if Guesty's old, <laughs> I don't know what that makes me. So that that's a big concern. That um, yeah, so I'll, I'll just throw that out there. But um, first, first question that jumps to mind: um, you say you start with kind of the end in mind. How do you sell the end point? So how how do you give people a picture of this is what it could, should, will look like? Is is that just about priming? Is that kind of footage data? Is that just about them creating that picture? Like, how do you guys go about really framing that so everyone knows what what they're kind of moving towards? Uh, yeah, so, so we're lucky enough to have a performance analysis platform um, called Huddle, and I'll spend all my days off uh, loads of time scrolling through premiership games, international games that we get uploaded on there on what our attack, what I want our attack to look like. And, you know, we're very much a best space team, a fast and easy team. We want the basics done well. Um, so I'll, I'll clip things from some premiership games that, that really align to how we want to attack. You know, it's got two lines, two sides, they're moving the ball and that, that might go up in a meeting or it might be sent out to the players so they can see what what perfect looks like, what ideal looks like. Um, now, we know we're not going to get there in training session one, um, but being able to see what it looks like once it all comes together gives them a shared understanding of what we're trying to achieve. And what's really good about the matrix and the curriculum we've been able to create is that starting with the end in mind means, okay, yeah, this is what we want by the end of it, but we understand the steps it's going to take to get there. And, you know, being able to review week on week where we're at and, and whether we need to spend another week potentially on something to, to, for us to get to the end point um, has, has been really useful for that. Yeah, because really, like right back in the start of pre-season when I met Karen Harrison, I sort of said to him, like, my playing philosophy, attacking-wise, is, is fast and easy. Um, very generic, very broad. And then from there, we sort of worked on, like, right, okay, this is how we think we're going to need to play, because obviously all three of us had not play around, expansive, a fan. So it was able to Kel, Harris and myself to then come up with, well, what does that actually look like for these boys? Um, like, I think sometimes jargon gets a little bit of a, a bad rep, but I think when you've got, got shared understanding of what that jargon actually means, um, it makes life a lot easier. So we, we talked around exactly what we thought fast and easy meant. And then like Kel said, it's, it's a case of finding clips, uh, footage, easy looks like, and then reinforcing that on the pitch. At the minute, we're talking around transfer, yeah, so at the minute we're we're so like we've taken fast and easy. Uh, then we talk around like what that looks like, and then the skills that underpin that. So from a, a coaching or session design point of view, it's okay. Like, well, obviously, if we want to play this way, we've got to put the boys in those sort of scenarios on the pitch. Um, so like Kel said, we we back it up with huddle. We send the boys Instagram clips, like short, sharp footage of what uh, what we're looking for. But then it's a case of actually 
designing our sessions to look like that. So it's very, very rarely unopposed. Um, it's more game based. It's more scenario based. A lot of 15 on 15 or 8v8 to get the boys in those scenarios, experiencing it, making decisions, making mistakes, um, but also nailing things, uh, obviously, when, when they get it right and stuff. So it's, it's trying to, the big thing off the back of the matrix in, in the minute is making sure that everything matches. So meetings match how we're actually trying to play and training matches the meetings and how we're actually trying to play. So I think it can be, you can get into the, the trap of, putting up in a meeting like, look, this is how we're going to play, but then your session design looks nothing like that and they're not linked. So I, I'm really trying to push myself, the two coaches, that everything we're saying on the matrix, we're giving the boys the opportunity to do out on the pitch. But that also relates to the actual game they play on a Wednesday. There's no point having the meetings and the training to play one way when actually that game's not effective um, on the Wednesday. Go on, Carol, jump in. Yeah, and and just touching on what Guesty said, I think the, the the words we like to use are that aligned messaging. So our, our what we show in the meeting replicates what we show on the pitch. What we show on the pitch replicates what we show in the game. Um, what's been quite uh, good for us this season is using the term sort of coach the message. So, like Guesty says, you can pull up or I can put up like the video of Northampton Saints attacking with with perfect exactly what we want. But unless I'm coaching the message week on week that I want to see. Uh, the boys are going to take a load of information and potentially not take a lot from it. Um, so having having good planning and understanding that we're coaching a message on field in in the training room during the game and then not having too much to work towards is 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 perfect to how we've progressed week on week. How flexible is the curriculum? I guess this is always the the counter argument to a curriculum that you end up focusing on perfection or what it should look like and and you kind of you just you just end up honing in too much on that and maybe you miss a load of kind of periphery based things that you weren't expecting or or whatever that might be so how how do you kind of balance that around you you know what good or what your kind of end point you'd like it to be but maybe the group won't get there or they're just not capable or it actually ends up being something else because the game is always changing like how how do you manage that flexibility within within the kind of matrix and within the curriculum I think, uh, like I touched on at the start, when, when we designed or when we had to think about our own curriculums, there was probably nine, 10, 11 different things in each one. Um, so I think the answer for me is being really specific with, as, as a three, what we're trying to achieve and then reviewing it week on week by week or session by session. So at the end of each session, reviewing it. And like I said, scoring out a four. If it's a two, uh, how do we get to a three? If it's a three, how do we get to a four? And being real critical around what we're trying to achieve. Um, I think, like I said, I, I think a lot of coaching, especially when I was younger, was quite reactive and we'd, we'd, we'd play a game on a Wednesday and perhaps we wouldn't have the best performance. And I'd think, oh God, well, next on Friday, we're going to have to, we're going to have to do stuff to, to, to correct what we've done on the Wednesday, but actually just sticking with the process and especially in this last eight weeks and not being too reactive to what we've seen on Wednesday um, and, and just trusting our curriculum and our, and what we're trying to work to is, has, has worked dividends for us. Um, I think you you can get into a state where you're thinking, are they getting this, or or could I be doing this a certain a different way? And we reflect as coaches on that and, and and have meetings on that. But if if like I said to you before, if if we need to spend an extra week potentially um, delivering a message, um, we'll do it. Um, and that's that's sort of the balance between reactive coaching and 
coaching to our curriculum and I think having that having that session review at the end of each session really helps us understand where we're at with it all. I think like just to jump on the back like, the, like writing the matrix in the curriculum was a really good exercise for us as coaches because you can really rip apart like the really important things to allow you to be to be effective and there are compromises there's a couple of things that me and Cal might have argued on but we've 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 compromised and there's bits in there that I think are important that actually Ken might think aren't as, as important and the same with Harrison. So there are those, those sort of compromises, but what we've, we've kind of, and it was probably off the back of um, listening to a podcast with, with Stuart Lancaster and, and Carol's just nailed it there. Like, yes, we've got our, our curriculum, our matrix, but it's also the feel for the players as well. Like we, we think this is appropriate for their stage of development. Bear in mind, we've got, a couple of England internationals, as well as a couple of lads that just play socially. So we've written a framework where, or a curriculum where it, it can fit everybody and we can accelerate some players, we can pull back for some players. But essentially, like if it, if it is all going wrong, it's on gut feel. It's not a case of, no, 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 we, we've written this down, we must do this. It's actually, well, no, no, actually at this point, and going by Wednesday or going by just the feel of the session, let's pull back a little bit, or even in session, let's just accelerate it for every single player. Um, so it, it guides us, but then we've still got that empathy, that, that gut feeling almost of like how the boys are reacting to, to what we're coaching and what we're asking of them. Do you, do you share it with the players? Does, does that start to tee up some of the IDP work that you do with them as individuals? Or is it something that it's just a kind of a reference point for you guys? I, I think what, what's really good is, like we discussed about aligning our messaging, if you, if you ask the boys um, right now... I, I think any of them, how we play, what we're trying to achieve, especially from an attacking point of view and defensive point of view, I think they'd be able to reel off the key messages for you. And not only do they, can they say it, they, they're able to action it on the pitch. Um, you know, when, when we have our meetings and, and the players I, I pick up, the meetings, are, are yeah, the, the chat is around what we're trying to achieve and how we're trying to play and it's shared with them. Um, like I said before, it's important that we pass on that ownership to the players because they're, they're the ones living it. They're, they're the ones playing it on, on, on the match day. Um, you know, as much as we can help them from the sideline, they're, they're the ones living it. Um, so they need that shared understanding, um, those shared affordances to, to, to go and action it for us. And I think like, like two, two little bits on that. So like, although it sounds a little bit, a little bit odd because we're only in February, but now that the Ace League's finished, we are sort of transitioning leadership roles onto our under 17s in prep for next year. So on a Thursday, we, we meet on teams um, to talk around what we're going to look at Friday, Monday into the Wednesday. And we, we ask them to present, to find clips with us. Um, so it's not a case of like, they just go off and find random clips. They are sort of directed and they with the coach. So we can sort of create that shared mental model around what fast and easy might look like or how we're going to defend for that week. Um, so they have that ownership and, and that buy-in, but on a slightly different topic what we did during the ace league off the back of the book was theme every block so pre-season we had his boot camp uh, then we had basic training then we had the campaign then we had the final push so we themed every part of the season um but really important giving it that why it wasn't just to, to dress it up and make it look pretty it was like this is how we we're gonna so like i said about the jargon we gave it meaning we gave it an understanding so actually when we talked about what boot camp was what the campaign was um they had the buy and, they, and ultimately they had the understanding of the reasons why we were trying to do things and it's it's similar to 
how we've done things with the matrix. We've explained how we want to play where we are as a group and where we want to get to. So we, we do get that buy-in from, from the players that way. How did you find the theming? I mean, it's, it's become, I guess, a buzzword would be unfair because there's definitely merit in it, but it's definitely the kind of the new coaching thing, right? So what, what was your guys' experiences of that? How did the players kind of take to it? Because I think it's it's something people are still maybe trying to trying to develop and, and get, you know, a better understanding of. Sorry, I missed the question. I know, mate, you're all good. Um, how, how have you found the theming um, in terms of it's, it's kind of the a definitely a, a more modern uh, coaching tool, let's call it that, for want of a better word. So how, what was your experience of kind of putting that, like planning that, putting it into place? How, how did it kind of resonate with the players? It was, it was a funny because it just kind of like all fell in together. Um, and the different parts of the season, we, we would just have like coffees and it was almost just like, oh my God, this is brilliant, this works. We found quotes, um, we basically themed, like our, our attack, we themed as the SAS around who dares wins. Defense um, was SBS by Strength and Guile. So we, we themed it, what to play, the reasons why and stuff like that. Um, I saw a, a few years ago, I was lucky enough to spend a week at the Scarlets with Brad Moore, uh, Glenn Delaney and Rich Whiffin. Um, and they themed their season, their whole season. And that was the first time that I'd actually seen a whole season actually themed. So we had a bit of time during pre-season to, um, to to put it all together. And it just seems, probably because I was reading the book at the time, it was almost like all the stars aligned and it was almost like the perfect theme. Everything seemed to, to fit together. And, and, and it was like... Um, yeah, it's probably one of those like positive accidents that actually we, we were trying it for the first time, but it all just seemed to like fall together. I think in, in terms of how we applied it as well, um, you know, Guesty was quite hot. Whenever we were hot on, whenever we were presenting things in, in meetings, titles and things like that were, they aligned to, to, to the theme. Um, you know, boys, boys were living this, this theme um, week by week, uh, even as far as when we were finishing games and we were, we were giving out awards and things like that or, or player of the matches, they, they would be themed as, as hats uh, or, or we had the idea of medals. So it's quite important that if you're going to, you're going to theme your season, you, you go full goo with it and, and, and you get the buy-in because ultimately the more the players live that, the, the better for the theme and, and the overall aim of the team. Do you think you can force it is the wrong word? I see a lot of people be like, yeah, I need I need to do theming. So I'm almost going to like crowbar or shoehorn something in that maybe doesn't quite fit. So it's happy accident. How how would you go about that for next season? Is it is it just repeat the same theme or is it you just kind of let it evolve and, and wait and see what the kind of the group look like and, and how it comes together and find a story that fits? Or or is it constructs one from from somewhere else and and then just apply it and make sure that you kind of yeah, that you, you just get everybody buying in. I think, along with a, lo a lot of stuff that I've, I've said to, to Kellen Harris, if it doesn't work, if we have to force it, we're not doing it. If it doesn't relate to what we're trying to achieve, then we're not doing it. We're not just doing it because another college is doing it or it, it might look good. If it's not relevant to these boys um, having that future excellence, then we're not going to do it. And like I said, with, like, with the book... It just seemed the right place at the right time. We've we've started to discuss with the leadership program. Do they want to continue with the same thing? Because it, it essentially it worked. We got we got to an ace final this year, and boys have had good success on the back of it. Do we do the same thing? 
what do they think? Do they want to change the theme? We've got, I'm not going to tell you what they are, but we've got a couple of other ideas on the back burner that we're, we're going to play around with. But essentially, I've, I've seen it work really well. Like, like I said at the Scarlet's, that I think we did it well this year. Um, but like you said, if, if you've got to shoehorn it, if you've got to over push it and it's not natural, it doesn't flow, then I think just knock on the head and just just present to the boys normally, just give them the reasons why, like without a theme. If you can put a story to it, great. But if you have to force the story, then it's just not going to work and everything then just almost like falls apart. I think that sounds, yeah, very, very sensible. Just, I guess, kind of last couple of minutes. So what are your thoughts on, outside of theming, like what are your big lessons going into next year? What are you really excited about for from kind of, an individual and almost kind of program perspective. What's what's exciting you? Go on, Kyle. Guess he's throwing you under the bus here. Uh, yeah, um, the, the question's massive. I think um, off the back of this being our first year as as a three and the success we've had from it, I think looking forwards and is it is quite exciting. Um, you know, I think naturally you review and you think, well, could, could we have gone the one step further and could we have won it? And we and we look back on potentially how we played and, and the processes that we put in place. And that's why designing the matrix and the curriculum was really good. Um, now that we've got a taste for it and, and we've experienced sort of the first the first year of it, I think um, going forwards and, and into, into the next year, I think we're in a really good place. Uh, we've got a better understanding of what it's all about. Um, you know, we've we've had the boys at the under 17, certainly for, for this first year. So we can we can continue with them and developing them for the next year and, and the new sort of cohort coming in. So. I think next year we, we probably won't change too much because it's worked quite well for us this year. But having that added experience of what it's all about, especially for me coming in in my first full time role, um, it, yeah, it's just exciting. Yeah, it's 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 a massive it is a massive job and it's a massive role. Like I said, it's although we're technically two and a half or three years old, this is like our first first proper year, the first time that three of us have come together. It's the first like. Kale's first job. Uh, Harrison's already been here a couple of years anyway. A big change for me after uh, seven years in a professional club to come across to a college and stuff. Massive learnings. And I'm very lucky with the amount of staff that we have. Like the boys are great. The support from the college and the club is unbelievable. Um, I'm very fortunate for the role that I've got. And I'm also quite lucky that I've got Kale and Harrison that I can work with them to help develop them from a coaching experience point of view but I'm also lucky to have like although I'm really 34 uh, a fresh mindset with these two guys like straight out of uni like the the academic background that they've both got to help push me you know we are a very lucky group and I think really in terms of trying to push the program it's it's chasing that excellence it's the it's how can we develop the staff like we've got quality staff but how can I keep pushing them making them better because that's ultimately going to make the program and the boys better but I think the, the big thing that we're looking at at the minute um, is the off-field support stuff. So looking around like better educational support, um, quality of academics, uh, mental health, anti-doping, those sorts of things that academies probably offer. Um, like I want us to be the next best thing outside of an academy in terms of what we can offer to support the players. But it's not just the rugby, the medical, the SNC, it's actually the mental health, the well-being nutrition cooking lessons all that sort of stuff that goes with life that can transfer as a professional sports person but also as a human being anyway to make them better players better better people 
Mate, it sounds like a great project and uh, no, I, I just wish you both all the best. So just before we kind of finish and uh, wrap things up, where if uh, people listen to this and they want to check out more about the programme, where do they go and find find information? So our Twitter is at WaspsAceOxford and it's also the same on Instagram and Facebook. Fantastic. What about you two individually? Where do they find you? Uh, I am on Twitter. Um and mine is at AlexGuest18. Yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter the same, just, just my name, uh, LinkedIn. Yeah, keen, keen to have conversations with coaches around around what we discussed today, but also any any ideas that that they want to chuck in as well. It'd be, be good to have those conversations. Fantastic. And last one from me, any recommendations, like what's on your bedside table at the moment, what you're reading, what you're engaging with, anything you just give somebody a nod towards? You've, you've spoken about a couple of really good ones, but is there anything else you'd uh, you'd throw out there for, for people if they're interested? So I'm, I'm actually just about to start Harry Redknapp's autobiography. Um, as much as I like the academic books, and I've probably read about four or five SAS books off the back of SAS Who Dares Wings on Channel 4. Um, I do quite like uh, an autobiography, just the stories and experiences that coaches and players have gone through. Um, I quite like hearing stuff about that. It's a bit of a sort of like coach or rugby norms in terms of stories and, and things that people, other people have gone through. I think fresh out of university for me, it's always nice to revisit some of the, some of the research stuff. So the stuff Mike Ashford's doing around decision making and around the attack based stuff is, is the stuff I'm interested in. I was actually waiting for a BT Sport Games to come on the other day and there was a programme on TV, it was uh, Rugby in America. I, I can't remember the name of the programme, someone, someone may know it, but actually just watching how they how they coach over there and the differences between here and there is quite an interesting watch for me. So although not a book, um, again, something that interests me. So yeah, those, those would be the things that I would lean towards too. Is that the Rugby Town USA one? Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, 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 nice. Great stuff. Uh, fellas, I've absolutely loved this. Thank you very much. Just a fascinating insight into how you guys have worked and then and then the kind of the programme itself. And uh, it, as I say, it sounds like you've done a, a fantastic job this year and I really do hope you, uh, you finish off this season strongly and, and have a great one next year. So uh, I'm going to round up the roundup. So those listening, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again to the guys for coming on and contributing to a brilliant discussion. Links to all the content discussed are available in the blurb on Rugby Coach weekly as always i'd like to thank you for listening wish you all the best and go well